0: reading is also this morning from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18. As we continue our exposition of this Gospel, we arrive in chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus continues the theme of prayer, bringing a a parable at this point. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and desired and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Amen. May God bless the reading of his own word. And this morning, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The theme before us is that of prayer. The theme for this sermon is true prayer. Um, You saw how the Lord Jesus, if you were with us last Lord's Day, I think in the afternoon we were looking at Luke 18, and we saw that the Lord was teaching there on The persisting of prayer, the need that we would pray and faint not. That was his first lesson on prayer was simply that we pray, that we do it, and that we would do it perseveringly, that we would do it believingly, and that we would do it with the faith that God would answer. Remember that analogy, that widow had faith that a wicked judge would answer. How much more we may have faith that God will answer our prayers. Now remember, what what gave rise to the theme of prayer was that Jesus had been prior to that teaching on the kingdom of God. And even though there were all those questions of when will the kingdom come and, and where will it come, the Lord Jesus directed them to that question that matters most. Are you ready for the kingdom? And He gave uh, the, 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 the answer of how being ready, remember, um, with With the the theme of of prayer itself, the Lord Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Jesus is putting all these things together. The theme of the kingdom is, is life or death. The kingdom has come already. There are people already in the kingdom. There are people outside. And there is a day in which the fulfillment of the kingdom will come. That will be the day that the Son of Man comes. That will be the second coming of Christ. That will be the day of the final judgment. Are you ready? And then Jesus brought the theme of prayer. You see what He's doing? He's saying, pray. Pray to be found ready. And how can you be ready? Will will the Son of Man find faith in the world? It is only by faith that you will be ready. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way you will be ready for the coming of Christ. It is how you enter the kingdom. Now, look how precious what Jesus is doing. It is not simply a matter of praying and automatically you're in. It is not prayer in a magical sense in your in. Your prayer must be true prayer. So Jesus brings a parable where there is a man praying, but he really isn't. And a man praying, and, and from the outside it's seeing that man has no hope. How can this publican be in the kingdom? But the Lord Jesus ends the parable saying, This man went home justified. And, and immediately you can understand what that means. He went home, declared righteous. Jesus is saying, my God in heaven accepted the prayer of the publican. And he did not accept the prayer of the Pharisee. You see, the Pharisee thought he was in the kingdom, but really wasn't. And it was even his prayer that revealed that. While this publican, nobody could ever imagine this man could enter the kingdom. He couldn't probably even pass the Gentile section of the temple. He stood far off beating upon his chest. and, And yet he's the man that Jesus declares to be in the kingdom. And you see there where prayer is very critical. And the Lord Jesus is here correcting this fallacy that would be in the heart of man. Oh, it's just a matter of praying? Okay, tell me what to pray and I'll pray and I'm entering into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, it has to be true prayer. If you just repeat some words, like a mantra, if you say something three times and you think you're saved, you're completely wrong. You need to have true faith and that creates true prayer by which you can ask for true mercy and receive it and enter the kingdom. See, the theme of entering the kingdom is overarching all of this. Um, And in the very next section, it is where those little children are not being allowed by Jesus, but then Jesus receives them. And look at verse 17. I want to show you how the theme of kingdom is still all of what we're talking about. The Lord Jesus says in verse 17 of chapter 18, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein." You see, Jesus is very burdened with the reality that there are people outside of the kingdom in His day and, of course, in our day as well. And then verse 18 is where that ruler comes asking about how to inherit eternal life. Um, um, and so it's still, even in providence, we, we, we don't know if this man heard the theme of the kingdom and this rushed to Jesus to ask, but, but this is put together through through... Um, the inspiration of the spirit as Lou puts it and of course entering the kingdom of God is all pertinent to the theme of the kingdom and we have here this little portion chapter 18 verses 1 through 8 that spoke of well pray pray persistingly pray believingly and now verses 9 through 14 Jesus will say in this prayer for, for it to really be answered has to be true prayer This is that correction of the error that would be very human that all we have to do is repeat a a few words and we're fine. We have eternity. No, it's not true. There are many people who may pray the sinner's prayer but still love sin more than Jesus and not truly ask for mercy at all and they are not received. And so this is what's before us right now. Jesus will teach us Not only to pray, and to pray very much, like with the parable of the widow. And now it is to pray, and pray very truly. Make sure your prayer is true. We we have here the basics of true prayer. Praying a prayer that God hears. Praying a prayer that God receives. So, in our first point, very simply, we'll look at the Pharisees' attempt at prayer. And then we will look at the publicans' success. Success. Um, at prayer, we're we're calling the Pharisees attempt because purely in a sense, this is an even prayer. He went there to pray, but when he arrived there, he was really just declaring who he was. So, in our first point, um, the first thing I think it's important that we consider is this: um, this one man, this Pharisee. Before we even talk about him, I, I want to talk about this because I think this is one of the most essential things in this whole passage. Um, one thing that he revealed that he did not know—he um, was not aware of the most important thing about true religion. This this one man, and and in his prayer and what Jesus says about it, it was revealed. What the foundation of all things spiritual and religious and what true religion is. What's the foundation? What I mean by this is what is the most important thing about your service to God? What is it that matters most about your religion? What is it that matters most about your spirituality? It's really just one thing. Being accepted of God. And beloved, as simple as this is, there are millions upon millions who miss that completely. This is exactly what the Pharisee is doing. See, he's offering prayer, but he has absolutely no concern if God will accept that prayer or not. That doesn't go through his mind. It's it's an unthinkable thing for him. Um, And and this reveals a little bit how, how we are by nature. In our pride, we cannot even envision that God could possibly reject something that we offer. We think like this, God reject me? God not accepting something that I offer to Him? While, while the whole world, most people in the world don't even regard Him, He won't regard me who am offering something to Him? But yes, we see this to be possible. And and I go, of course, to the example of Scripture that we know 100% for sure that they offered something religious, something spiritual to God. It seemed like to some degree there could have been even good intentions, but God made it clear that they were absolutely rejected. Example number one is Cain. and his worship, it was rejected of God. You think of this, the very third person into this world he assumed and pretended to, to offer to the Lord an offering and God completely rejected it. Um, Esau's tears they were rejected of God. Pharaoh's prayer this is fresh in our minds there in Exodus we've been reading and I, and I just read back that verse in my study where Pharaoh is asking that the Lord will forgive him this sin this once he said And the Lord did not accept that prayer because Pharaoh was not forgiven. Just as Pharaoh sends off Moses, he says, and bless me also. Well, Pharaoh was not blessed. Nadab and Abihu are classical examples. They they provided incense to God and it was rejected by God. There is the example of Uzzah who provided assistance to the ark of God and it was rejected by God. And there is King Uzziah, who thought of bringing in intercession before God, offering incense, and it was rejected of God. Well, the example of Pharaoh is very fresh in our minds. Boys and girls, I, I want to speak briefly about each one of these as little examples. Nadab and Abihu, remember, they were the very sons of Aaron So they would be the very next in line. They had everything just right, at least externally. The robe and the turban and they went into the temple, the the tabernacle, to the holy place with incense, but the Bible says that they brought strange fire before the Lord. We don't understand exactly what that means because... Um, you you read through the passage and it could be their hearts were wrong. It could be they had the incense with the wrong formula in it. Um, The very next chapter talks about how if a priest goes to offer that they should never drink any wine. So it could be some people think they were drunk when they offered the incense. We're not 100% sure. But when they are in the holy place with incense and it is considered strange fire, the Lord brings fire from heaven and burns both of them in the holy place. You see, they are offering something religious. They're coming before God. They think that is a, a spiritual devotion. And God says, no, I will not have it. The example of Azza is one that... that that, that breaks our heart. This man seemed to have been very well intending where he's there in the, in the whole procession of carrying the Ark of the Ten Commandments. It, it was already wrong that it was in a wagon instead of the Levites carrying it. But as it was in a wagon, it, it, was, it was trailing along and the road was not just pavements like today. It was full of holes and that Ark was about to fall. And Uzzah comes and holds that Ark so it would not fall on the ground. And it says in verse 7 of 2 Samuel 6, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. This is, of the examples we have, it seems to be one of the cases where there may have been the most pure intention in the heart of a man. And he was trying to provide assistance to one of the holy articles of God and was killed in the very act. You see, you may give things to God and He'll say no. R.C. Sproul had that that, that classical explanation. a sin was that he thought his hands were more pure than the dust, the dirt. And he was wrong. If that ark had fallen on the ground... It would have been kept holier than by touching unholy hands. Besides the whole command that the ark was not supposed to be in the wagon. And never be touched by any human. It was to be carried with those poles. You see, Uzzah offered. It wasn't received. And then by, to, to end the example of Uzziah. He was a king and he was known as a godly king. But he became proud and he decided the other kings and other nations, they offer incense to their gods. Why can I not offer incense to my God, Jehovah? So he took the censer and entered boldly a king instead of a priest. It couldn't even be someone from the line of Levi. It had to be someone who was from the line of Aaron under the line of Levi to enter into the holy place and Uzziah just, just barged in there with the incense. And as he was before the altar of incense, all offering incense, the priests in those days were very bold and biblical, and, and they marched in there and confronted the king. The king began by being angry and, and not accepting their their judgment and their... Disregard of what he was doing and immediately he began to have leprosy on his forehead and he became a leprous man. And he was put aside from the kingdom. His son had to become king and in time he died of his leprosy. See, these are examples that are very tangible. It doesn't matter for you to just offer something to God. What matters is, does God accept it? does he receive it? And let me read a few more passages here. I want to make this... We we need to have this understanding so that it can inform our our religion and inform everything we offer to God that it would have no marks of hypocrisy in it, of no true faith. Because this is foundational. In, In Amos chapter 5, verse 20, we read God saying, Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even... Every dark, even very dark, and no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. You know, as they sent the incense, it was meant to be a sweet savor to the Lord. And God is saying, it is not sweet savor to me anymore. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Verse 23 of Amos 5 Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as water, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chion, your images the star of your God, which He made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. We find similar passages in Isaiah and in, 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 in Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah fourteen twelve. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and an oblation, I will not accept them but I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. So, I hope this is very settled in our hearts. See, it's not a matter of simply offering something to God. Our concern should be, will God accept what I am offering? Will He accept what I am offering? And this Pharisee was not considering this. And he was not received um, Spurgeon says this when he's touching on this subject it's entry he has a sermon on this passage that's called too good to be saved this Pharisee comes before the Lord and he he parades before the Lord he declares all of his goodness he never asks to be saved and so Spurgeon plays with that thought saying he was too good to be saved. He never asks to be saved. And he says this, Notice further, dear friends, that the pith, the marrow, the very center of the blessing that we expect to get in worship is justification, to be accepted of God, to be regarded as just, to be esteemed by Him as doing the right thing. This is what we ought to seek whenever we come together for worship. And in that sense, the publican, with his earnest cry for mercy, was justified, that is, he was accepted by God. He was regarded as one who had been made just while the Pharisee, who stood there ostentatiously publishing his own excellence, was not justified, was not accepted, was not considered a just man, and did not receive from God any of the favors which he is accustomed to give to those who rightly worship him in spirit and in truth." And this is, this is so practical, beloved. See, we, we are all here in the worship of God, the corporate worship of God. It bears upon your heart and mind that we would ask this one question. Um, is my worship being accepted? That's what matters most. Lord, please receive my worship. See, Jesus is teaching us how your worship will be received. If you offer it like the Pharisee, It won't. So let's look at the Pharisee now. You know, we've talked off and on 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 who a Pharisee is. You you know how they were seen as the, in those days, there were, of course, those who, who perhaps thought they were too haughty and proud, but the general consensus of a Pharisee was that they were the most noble men religiously in the land. They, they did take the pains to live out the law to the last degree. And society, in essence, kind of thought, okay, they, they are the ones who for sure will go to heaven. Josephus, the historian, described them as a certain sect of the Jews that appear more religious than others and seem to interpret the laws more accurately. They did have the best reputation in, in Israel, and they followed the law meticulously. So in general, they were seen as the holy ones. The ones who, if anybody is to be accepted, they will. But he wasn't. Jesus revealed that he wasn't. How can we explain this? Well, it had to do with his prayer. His prayer was revealing it. So let's talk about his prayer a little bit. Well, Jesus, um, before He even starts the parable, He says why, um, and the text says why He would tell this parable. It says, unto certain which trusted in themselves, and in what way? They, they had this self-trust that they were righteous. And this left, went to a different degree. And despised others. See, as they saw themselves as righteous, it started making them look down on others and despise them Um, it's the classical holier than thou attitude Jesus um, is telling this parable because there were those in the audience and so let's look at his prayer as I said his prayer reveals this reality about him Um, the first thing we could say is that obviously his prayer was a very conceited prayer he was a very conceited man Uh, conceit is the whole concept of putting yourself forward and above others. It's pride, of course. And, and you'll remember that not too long ago we, we talked about pride because the Lord Jesus was talking about humility. Remember that whole issue about how, how is it that I can forgive seven times seven? And Jesus showed the whole problem is not just that you need more faith, you need humble faith. Remember, the whole theme of humility came in. And at that point in the sermon, I I spoke of the dangers of pride. Well, you see now the Lord Jesus, what He's doing is He's showing pride to us. He's not teaching on humility directly. He's teaching now on pride directly. And of course, the indirect lesson is we must be humble. He's showing to us what pride is. And and this is what pride is. It's it's, it's revealed in this man. that says, I thank thee that I am not, as other men are, extortionists, unjust, adulterous, or even as this publican. He uses the man in the audience to, to, to distinguish himself based on who that man is. And then he says things he does. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possessed. Now, Beloved, this this is a thing that every time we think of the theme of pride, there's this burden in my heart that we are living in days where pride is a virtue. It's true that the world, and you look at companies and you look at industries, they, they don't want someone who's just out in your face, boastful of himself. The world agrees that that's too much. But to put yourself above others... And to prove that you're the best for a position. And you know the, 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 the big um, hard question that I am always very sympathetic and feel bad for those who are writing those, those resumes and, and, and answering those questions and you're told you're going to have to answer what your greatest weakness is and what your, greatest, um, 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 what your greatest strengths are. How can you answer that and not sound boastful and, and, and what's interesting is that you read about it and the world itself is not wanting somebody to ask that in a way that you put yourself above everybody else that, I, I do believe that that's even a little key foundation in that question is to find out how proud you might be be careful how you answer that question and, and to be f- faithful to your witness because pride is a sin Of course, you may say the truth. If certain things, if you arrive in time, is something natural that happens to you, that is a strain. And it's not necessarily being proud when you say that. But be careful what you say, because pride is sinful. And this is where the difference is. Just like when we were talking about value, that there's a difference about how God sees us and He sees our worth. We have His image. The Lord Jesus gave His blood for His people and that shows our value. But when we decry our sinfulness and say I'm I'm, I'm an unprofitable sinner, a servant, what, what I'm doing is just acknowledging the reality of my sin. It's not really an inherent worth. It's more the state because of my fallenness. And in terms of worth, image of God. So I don't have to just be wallowing in the mud. But the same thing here. The problem with this man is he had self-confidence. And see, the world, when they ask you, what's your weakness, what's your strength, they do want to see confidence. But even the world is not wanting to see so much self-confidence to the point where the whole world in that business will rotate in you. They're not going to want you for that position. They know that a very proud person is a troublemaker. But the world doesn't have a category for what God does. What is the confidence that is good? Because look at David, boys and girls. Would David, was David confidence when he saw Goliath and he went to battle? That is confidence. And think of Peter when he rises and he sees thousands of people who are mocking them as if they're drunk on the day of Pentecost. And Peter begins to preach. You've never seen such bold confidence before in that man. That is confidence. And think of Paul. He, He has just been stoned as if he died and some people think he did die they left him for dead he picks himself up he goes back or or is resurrected the lord of course gives him strength he goes back into the city that very night he goes on further and continues to preach the gospel he was a man full of confidence why was it not pride because he had confidence in his god so the distinction is here Sinful pride is self-confidence. Good confidence is Christ confidence. Is when you have confidence in Christ. And, And young men and women, as you go to the workforce and you might be asked that question, just let your heart be filled with Christ confidence. And as you answer questions, they may see a confidence, but they'll see it's not pride. Because they'll see you're not confident just in yourself, but in a, in a higher one than anyone, God Himself. But this was a conceited man. This, this is the first thing we can talk about. And, and there's this distinction. I, I think it's important because we're living in a day where pride is spoken of as a virtue. And, and this is how, what's a virtue is confidence in Christ. And it does give you a boldness. But it's not pride and conceit. When it's self-confidence, it is pride. And God will not receive you. Now the second thing is that he was a self-righteous man. We have to put this the word righteous because this is what was so um, confident in his mind is that he was righteous. Um, He goes through a list here that, that he was very honest because he was not an extortioner. He was very just because he was not unjust. He was very moral and faithful if he was married to his wife because he was not an adulterer. And um, and he was very honest because he was not as that publican. And, and notice what he's doing. He's calling the publican an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, because he connects all those words with that man. That's whom he thought he was. You see, he he had confidence in himself, in his righteousness, not just in his abilities, but in his spiritual devotion. That's where his faith was. And, and and see where where you 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 um you know the proverbial you you shoot yourself on your feet. If he has so much confidence in himself, his faith is not in God who would save him. It is in self. You see, he he thinks he will be approved of God as He saves Himself by all these righteous deeds. This is works salvation. And in so doing, you're only condemned all the more. Because your faith is not in God, it is in self. And then thirdly, um, this is where, where it achieves this sad reality that then he despises others. Not, it, it would be bad enough if, if that focus was self and, and he just talks about himself. But what ultimately happens is that, of course, if you're putting yourself in that high position, you'll be observing others who do not come up to that height. And so you start despising them. That's a great danger of pride in your heart. You will start despising others who, who have not attained to the righteousness that you think you have. And, beloved, this is even one way to find out if you have this self righteousness, or, you know, you know, to a great degree, all of us as humans have this tendency. And we need to be humble here and fight against this with humility, with faith in Christ and not self. But we can start distinguishing if we start judging others and despising them, making statements, making established thoughts of where others are in their own position. You know, like he said, or even as this publican, um, he's, he's in essence saying, This man is all of this, and I'm thankful I'm not. Augustine he says this about this parable. He says the Pharisee was not rejoicing so much in his own clean bill of health as in comparing it with the disease of others. He came to the doctor. It would have been more worthwhile to inform him by confession of the things that that were wrong with himself instead of keeping his wound secret and having the nerve to crow over the scars of others. It is not surprising that the tax collector went away cured since he had, been, had not been ashamed of showing where he felt pain. And what makes this evil... Um, wait, I didn't put the end of the quote and I want to make sure it's not what I wrote. Yes, this is still still Augustine. What makes his evil heart to contempt, of contempt, is not only the ability to rise above other men, but particularly despise the one before him. Um, Augustine puts it in, in, in a sense of, okay, these are two people who are sick. They come before God, who would be the doctor, and the big error this man makes is he doesn't show where he's hurting, so he doesn't go back home cured. But the man who says, Lord, this is my pain, my sin, the Lord cures him. But what this man does is speak evil of the one who does speak of his pain. You notice this is what happens, right? If if you're in a group of friends and you say, you know, I'm I'm such a sinner. And I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. Immediately... You put yourself in a danger, of course, because others will say, really, you do that and that and that? That's awful. You see, and people in pride will say, that's awful, I I don't do those things. See, when you do that to God, it's always safe. Because you're telling God where it hurts. And He gives the remedy. He gives the forgiveness. He cleanses you. Now the ultimate thing we could ask even about this Pharisee: is why did he even go pray? Because he didn't. He never asked God one thing. You notice, you can summarize this, it was all for human reasons. He wanted to be seen of men, he wanted to be heard of men, he wanted to be praised by men, and he wanted to decry others who should not be praised by men. And it had nothing spiritual. See, it it had everything human. It had nothing spiritual. He never asked anything of God. He never praised God for who He is. He never thanked God in a true way about His righteousness. You see, he thanked God about His own righteousness, not about God's righteousness. So he never really did pray. And now, let me go quickly to the publican's success at prayer. Well, publicans also, we've talked about them, and just very briefly, and it's amazing how Jesus puts these two groups of people, because the, the publican, in the eyes of the society, and many of them at heart, were um, horrible sinners, they were people who were very greedy. They had, um, they, they, they had made allegiance with that oppressing government of Rome, and they had no qualms to be subservient to Rome, getting money from the Jews and giving it to Rome and keeping a lot of it to themselves. They were, many of them, cruel and violent because they would have these thugs who would go after the people who were not paying their taxes to threaten them so that he could receive those taxes. They were dishonest. They were cruel. They were greedy for money. So we could ask that question. Now, I'll start by asking this question Why does this publican go pray? You know, at the very end of of the Pharisee, I asked the question, Why did he go pray? Because it didn't seem like he prayed. But I want to start looking at the publican asking that same question Why did he go pray? Why does he have an interest to pray if he's so um, in a life that's full of sin and evil and that's his life? We Well, see, this is the big thing that's happening with this man. He wants to change. There's indication, and you read in commentaries, they speak of it this way. This is his first prayer. He began praying. He's confessing, and he's asking forgiveness. And it's out of a true and sincere faith. We know it because Jesus approves it. You see, we're not here left to speculate. Oh, what a beautiful prayer. It sounds very, very full of contrition no it was it was a true prayer it was an accepted prayer jesus didn't just say my father accepted he used the word justification this man was declared righteous he he came home a sinner who could only beat on his chest he went home a righteous man that's why he went to pray And you you see how precious. You can be living a life that is so evil and so gruesome and then all of a sudden you go pray. You could ask, why are you going to pray? Why why do you bother to pray? Because look at the life you live and you can say, because I want to end that life. I don't want to live it anymore. And you see now the difference. The other man, he was living an evil life in his heart. It looked very beautiful outside. When he began to pray, it wasn't even prayer. It wasn't even his first prayer, you could say. He still has not truly prayed that first man. But this one, he is praying, basically, for the first time. Matthew Henry says this, The Pharisee came to the temple upon a compliment, the publican upon business, the Pharisee to make his appearance, the publican to make his request. Now God sees with what disposition and design we come to wait upon Him in holy ordinances and will judge us accordingly. So beloved, again, let the application throughout this sermon be Is your worship being accepted this very moment? Your prayers at home, your prayers here, is that accepted? That's the great business, beloved, that we come here today. That we would be accepted. That we would not go back home unjustified, but that we would go home like this publican, Justified and and what can we say about this prayer? Like we said a few things about the first prayer and the man. What can we say about this prayer and this man? Well, the first thing is simply this: that it was prayer. He did ask something. He did make a request, and, and this is an essential part of prayer. It's not the most important part of prayer. It's not the only part of prayer because when we praise God, we're not asking. And that is very important and essential. When we thank God, we're we're not asking, and we're doing something very essential. We we have to we have to have adoration in prayer, and we have to even when you confess your sins, it's not the beginning of asking, but when you say, "Lord, then please forgive me," that is asking. So that asking is a very critical part of prayer. It's not the whole part of prayer but a very critical part, and especially, beloved, the first prayer. And, and, and again, in reading commentaries, I'm struck by the reality Martin, uh, um, Matthew Henry, Calvin, and, and also J.C. Ryle, that point to the reality that the first prayer, in essence, has to be all asking. Because can you imagine somebody who comes and says, well, God... Thou art so great and glorious and use many, many words about the greatness of God, the righteousness of God, and even thank Him for the beauty of everything, but then go home without ever having asked, forgive my sins. You see, the soul who has never asked for forgiveness, everything he's ever been saying is not yet true prayer. Because you can say all those great things about God, but if you still harbor sin in your heart, it really means that you don't mean any of those things. Because you still don't feel the weight and the burden in your heart that you've transgressed against this great and glorious God. So you see, even though asking is not everything about prayer, it is the most essential thing about the first prayer. You need to begin praying by asking god to cleanse you to be merciful to you this in essence this is the first prayer of this publican have you prayed a first prayer like this jc ryle he says this mercy is the first thing we must ask for in the day we begin to pray This this is very categorical. You see, there's just something very universal. He's not saying mercy is one good thing to pray. It is the first thing to pray. And you you see what this means. It's, It's exactly what I've just said. You can exalt God with the most majestic words, but if you've never asked for His mercy, you have not yet begun to pray. And everything else you could say is like the Pharisee's prayer, where you're not being accepted. And he continues, Mercy and grace must be the subjects of our daily petitions at the throne of grace till the day we die. We are never in the way of salvation until we know that we are lost, ruined, guiltless, guilty, and helpless. You see, if this is how we come before God and realize, I am guilty, I am helpless, how can I even begin to exalt who God is? if I still have sin to be dealt with, and if I ignore that reality and start asking for food for my children and for a new car and for health for my bones and and, and so many beautiful things I can ask while sin is still there weighing and I still have not acknowledged, well, then I still have not prayed. So this is what's precious about this prayer. It is prayer. And The very first prayer, in essence. And secondly, we could say, of course, this was humble prayer. It has everything about it. Of humility in the very posture that this man has, he's standing afar off, um, and then he could not lift so much his eyes into heaven, and that he smote upon his breast. These these are all um, expressions of a heart that is not caring about who's around. He's not desiring, of course, for people to to see how glorious he is. He he doesn't think there's anything glorious about him or anything that he would deserve. And when he ha- asks. Be merciful to me. It's the word mercy that really implies the greatest element of humility. This is in the in the Greek the verb form of the noun propitiation. We could translate this him saying, Be propitious to me, a sinner. And and, and when he says a sinner, in the Greek there is the article the where we could also translate him saying Be propitious to me, the sinner. Let me start with the word propitious. It's very important that we talk about this just for a minute. Because propitiation always goes a step deeper than the word atonement. And you could say the word expiation. When Jesus died on the cross, He atoned for our sins and He expiated our sins. These, These are words that speak of Jesus forgiving us and cleansing us. But when we speak of propitiation, we're also acknowledging that for Jesus to atone for our, sins, for our sins to be cleansed, it means that God's wrath had to be appeased. The word propitiation always brings to bear that our sins were so evil that God's wrath had to be appeased. And the propitiator is Jesus who received it. So you see, when we use the word of propitiation, we, we are meaning atonement. And we are meaning the word expiation. where well, We're not excluding them. It is including them and going even deeper and acknowledging God's wrath was appeased. That's how my sins were expiated and atoned for. And this man is saying, Lord, be propitious to me. Take away thy wrath, Lord, that is directed upon me. And cause it to fall on another. On the victim. Lord, on the lamb that was slain. On the altar. And of course now we know it's fulfilled in Christ. That's where the wrath went. Well, it was real prayer. It was humble prayer. And it was sincere prayer the, 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 when we say humble prayer, it of course already means this, but I want to bring in sincere prayer, I want to bring two things that that it was personal you notice he didn 't say anything about anybody else he wasn 't comparing himself with others he was he was just saying that he is the sinner, Lord, be merciful to me, I need thy mercy, and we see how it came from the heart it wasn 't just from the lips it, it was it was Um, Very full of sincerity from himself. And then fourthly, we could say it was a very bold prayer. Um, Right here, I just want to bring this one reality that we need to understand this. This is the boldest thing you could ever ask for. Because when you ask for God's mercy, you are asking that your sins be be forgiven you are asking that you have reconciliation to God you are asking for eternal life you are asking for a new relationship with your creator you are asking for, for, for being, um, being, having access to God and, and these are the best things you could ever ask for Someone who has riches and health and property and power and fame and influence and friends and success but still does not have forgiveness of their sins. He has nothing. And so what this man is asking is for the greatest, boldest thing he could ever ask for. And then the last thing we could say about this prayer is it was a powerful prayer because it was an answered prayer. He received the very thing he asked He's there pleading, be merciful to me. Jesus is saying, He was. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. He received the mercy. And what happened to him is the fulfillment of Psalm 51 17. A broken and a contrite heart, he will not despise. And beloved, in closing, then having seen these true prayers exposed to us throughout the sermon, I've been making this application, but I, I end with it. Um, is your life accepted? Is your prayer are your prayers accepted? Is this very worship service received of God? How is it that you offer it? Do you offer it out of your heart in humility? Sincerely? By true faith in the person and work of Christ. Is this how you come in His presence? Forgetting that there's even a whole world round about us? Or do you come where you just want to be seen of others? Do you come because you just want the compliment of others? Do you come and in your heart you are judging others? Be honest in your own heart. How is it that you come? What prevails in your heart right now? That there are some in our own congregation that don't live up to what you believe a Christian should be. Young people, as, as soon as we become older... You know, when we're little children, we come to church because our parents bring us. But it gets to a point that you come to church because you think, well, I don't want so-and-so to think I'm not going to church. I don't want the pastor to be upset that I'm not coming to church. You see, if that's prevailing in your heart, you're just coming because you want others to see you come. That's why this Pharisee went. He wanted others to hear his beautiful, wonderful prayer. Maybe you're being involved in something, in teaching the Bible. Maybe you, you have prayers. Honestly, answer in your heart. Are you giving those studies? Are you praying out loud for people to hear you and to applaud you? And are you judging those people who never pray? They, they never do anything. Look what I'm doing. Why don't they start doing as much as I do? Isn't it true, beloved, that we struggle with those things in our heart? So Jesus is teaching us here that, that if that's what prevails, whatever you're doing spiritually is not received. Unless you do it with this humility. And when I say this humility, it's, it's connected with, with faith. It's, it is un- broken from what true faith is if you truly believe in Jesus you will be humble and sincere you will have this heart religion you notice that for this publican the whole world disappeared he said Lord be propitious to me the sinner the sinner It's as if there's no other sinners out there. I'm the sinner. It is like Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. Do you have that heart? Do you see your own sin that bad? And it's encouraging to think, if you've never have, be like the publican and say this first prayer with a true heart. And always remember, if you're a true believer, asking for grace and mercy continues forever. We never graduate from needing God's grace and God's mercy. And what will happen is the closer we grow to the Lord, the more we'll see our sin, the more we'll see ourselves having to come like this publican. The more we will see ourselves as unworthy. And the Lord loves to see that. Because you're truly praying now. And you're truly seeing that you need Him. May the Lord say of each and every one of us that we're going to our homes justified this morning. Let us pray. Our gracious, glorious God, we plead, Lord, that Thou who knows and seest each of our hearts, that Thou would give, Lord, what each of us needs. Lord, we remember these very words. Those who exalt themselves shall be abased. Lord, abase us. Cause us to be humbled. Help us, Lord, to see our own sin. Help us, Lord, not to compare ourselves with others, but to compare ourselves with Thee, with Thy law, with Thy commands, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to to begin or to continue in this way of begging, in this way of humility, in this way of heart religion, seeking, Lord, earnestly for Thy mercy. Seeking earnestly, Lord, that Thou would forgive us, that Thou would be propitious to us. Lord, help us to even understand the reality that without forgiveness we are under Thy wrath. Lord, we confess we do not understand what that means fully. But help us, Lord, to believe it, to understand it. Help, Lord, that soul that is without Christ to see the great and eternal danger they are in until they plead this very prayer with intent and with sincerity, with true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and deliver that soul that He and all of us may go home, Lord, today justified, declared righteous, and not like the publican, not like the Pharisee, Lord. Please break each of our hearts and be glorified in this Thy day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.